critical race theory, inequality, inclusion, generational poverty. You know, some of us, when we hear the term social justice or even just the word justice, uh, it means so many different things to so many different people right now. What does the Bible have to say about all of this? That's what we're about to find out in today's podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Daniel Day Podcast, a podcast all about discipleship and leadership. I'm Daniel Day, your host. Welcome to the program. Hello, friends, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Daniel Day, your host. He is David Dukeson. David, welcome to the program. It's such a delight to have you, my friend. Absolutely. I've been looking forward to this, man. David, uh, it's exciting to be able to visit with you for a few minutes about your latest book entitled Neighborliness. And it's all about crossing those barriers, those lines of division in our culture to reach people with the love of Christ. Can't wait to talk about your book and all the success that it is seeing uh, of late. And so uh, it's going to be an exciting conversation. But before we go too much further here, would you please ask the Lord's blessing for us over our time together and for those watching and listening today? Yeah, absolutely. Well, Father, we come before you knowing that all things are from you and to you and through you. And we want to give you all the glory. And so Lord, I just pray that you would lead and guide mine and Daniel's conversation today. And uh, we delight in you. We know that you are with us. And even when we explore conversations that um, culture has tried to divide us on, we know that your heart is to bring us together. And so we welcome you, Holy Spirit. Um, we delight in you and we, uh, just, uh, pray that we would enjoy this time together and that it would be like throwing seeds out into healthy soil, uh, that would take root and, uh, grow up and, uh, produce 30, 60 and a hundred times, uh, the amount of, uh, investment that we make today. And so we just thank you for it. Amen. Amen. Friends, if you're just beginning to listen or hop on to this broadcast, would you please do David and I a favor? Uh, this conversation is going to be incredibly relevant and meaningful for anyone who wants to talk about uh, some social issues, some justice issues, and to understand the biblical approach to these incredibly hot topics in our society today. So if you know someone or uh, believe someone might benefit from this conversation, would you please like and heart this video, especially the Facebook algorithm these days, they like hearts more than likes. So if you heart it, it's going to reach more people. Comment on it. Let us know where you're watching from. And please, please, please share this to your own profile or through a message to someone who may benefit from this conversation today as we are with Dr. David Dukeson. Uh, He is the author of a great book entitled Neighborliness. It's all about crossing those lines in our culture 
and in our society, those lines of division and building bridges to others with the love of Christ. And uh, David, I just want to say welcome to the program. It's such a, a delight to have you and it's an honor, sir. Yeah, absolutely. This is, uh, I mean, it's, to me, I feel like giving the proper emphasis to the greatest commandment is one of the best ways that we can spend our time, you know, uh, loving God and neighbors. And, uh, and so exploring this with you and, and, uh, and with the folks that will join us uh, now and later, uh, it's just a great opportunity to, to really um, just explore the love of Jesus, both for us and for those that uh, fill our world. Yeah. Well, listen, man, uh, congratulations on the book. I know that you have spent years and years, matter of fact, more than 20 years in pastoral ministry, teaching, mm-hmm. uh, community advocacy. Uh, you have written extensively on issues pertaining to generational poverty. Um, these are all things that are just, I mean, major hot topics in our culture right now. Uh, and so many people drawing lines of division uh, and making things about um, a lot of unbiblical subjects and, and, and really missing the point altogether. And I love how your book kind of brings us back to focusing on the biblical definitions of these terms and our mission in the world. Before we get too much further here, though, this may be the very first time some of our listeners have met you. So, David, would you take 60 seconds, give us a little bullet point on you, your wife, your family, your ministry, and what you're most excited about right now? Yeah, I'm excited about my daughter's soccer game this afternoon. Um, and, uh, you know, I've got an amazing wife. We're celebrating 20 years of, of marriage. Uh, she's the best part of my life um, outside of Jesus. And then we have four teenage kids, uh, Max, Mary, Jack, and Ben. Oh, my goodness. How's the grocery budget doing for you right now? It's it's crushed. It's crushed. It's Um, gone. And uh, so I've got three teenage boys that are 18, uh, 15 and 13. And um, they're just endless vacuums of food and uh, and and anointed by God to do great things for this world. And my baby girl is 17. Uh, All uh, she's delightful. She is an artist and a just a, a joy to the world. So she is, but they all play soccer. So we have like every night of our life or day is, is generally at a soccer field at some point right now. So um, yeah, 20 years in ministry, uh, two church plants um, was an associate for the first 10 years of local church ministry. And then, um, and then 12 years as a lead pastor. So uh, yeah, just uh, I love Jesus. I mean, I love, I love him. I love uh the, the way that he redeemed my heart. And I just want to share that with as many people as possible. Um, the second church plant is the one where kind of the book picks up where we um, moved our church to a dividing line between the rich and the poor and just learned a lot of lessons from that. And uh, two and a half years ago, stepped down from the uh, lead pastor role and now travel full-time uh, speaking, teaching, and writing uh, towards biblical justice and helping organizations and businesses and nonprofits, uh, really uh, churches, uh, businesses, and nonprofits, uh, really figure out how to use their organization uh, for justice. And, um, and so it's, it's a joy to, to be able to be in this season and, and the Lord's provided um, every step of the way for us to kind of take the step of faith and jump out and do this full time. Well, it's exciting to uh, watch how the Lord has opened so many doors for you and how well and how quickly 
uh, neighborliness has has risen in the Amazon charts and all the reviews that you're getting and the exposure to speak to these relevant subjects from a Christian and biblical point of view. I think it's absolutely needed uh, right now because these terms, justice or mm -hmm. uh, social justice or uh, poverty or generational uh, when, and when people start using these buzzwords, it seems like a lot of people have their own yeah. thoughts, their own agendas. And man, it's nice to know that someone like yourself has put something so articulate into the conversation uh, to help us believers be able to offer some good uh, definition to it. Well, thanks, man. That I mean, that means a lot to me. Um, I just want to do my part. I mean, and if the Lord wants to shine a light on it, that's that's great. But it's like we said before we even jumped on this interview. I mean, anything that the Lord is doing right now is all, all praise and glory and honor to him. I just want to be faithful to him and, and his call. Um, you know, I think that justice, um, it's interesting that it's a buzzword. I actually think that justice doesn't need a modifier. And so what I mean by that is, you know, a lot of people get, um, they feel a certain kind of way about the word social justice. I think that social justice is embedded in biblical justice, but I think that justice itself, it doesn't need a modifier. It doesn't need social or biblical in front of it, because if we truly believe that justice is the Lord making everything right, we're, we're equitable, we're treating each other in the way that the scriptures would say that, I think that that's justice. And so it doesn't need a modifier. Um, and so, but I do think that people, what I've noticed is that, I don't think that people are mad at me. I don't think that they're mad at um, at the people that are bringing up these conversations. I think that there that there's angst that has filled our hearts over issues related to social things and culture that that are from the way that we grew up or from uh, some of the experiences that we've had and stuff like that. And so I was laughing the other day because I um, I sent a, a text message to some of my friends that, that pray and intercede for. Um, you know, when I'm traveling and, and speaking, and I said, I said, y'all got to pray for your boy, because I'm going to go, I'm going to speak at this event. Um, and uh, I'm going to tell people that they need to love their neighbors, and they're going to be super pissed off at me. <laughs> because you start to bring up anything that has to do with race or economics or cultural matters. And people all of a sudden start shutting down. And there is this um, this phrase that um, I've done some studying of brain science and the way that, that we're wired and stuff like that. It's actually called refutation mode, where if I'm talking to you about something and you think that I'm wrong, your brain starts to shut down and it moves into something called refutation mode where you're not even listening to me anymore. You're, you're preparing your defense instead of listening to the words that I'm saying. And it's an interesting phenomenon because it's the way that we're wired um, but I think that we have to also understand that the way that we're wired sometimes is, isn't leading to health, right? Like the way that we're wired, um, for us to defend our position. Um, I think that we need to work against some of that sometimes and refutation mode means that you just don't think that there's anything left to consider and you're just working on how to argue. Um, you know, one of the things that I have seen as I've just observed and studied and tried to, uh, embody the life and presence of Jesus is that he wasn't trying to win arguments. He was trying to open up and, and enter into relationship with people. And so, like, I mean, here's Jesus. He knows everything. He knows the answer to every question. He knows the way to get from A to B, you know, if A is the beginning point and B is the answer, but he's not quickly getting there. He's saying, hey, well, 
let's talk about that or let's walk from here to there. And I just think that the life and model of Jesus is one of relationship. And so that's what we're aiming towards with neighborliness is how do we get enough information uh, in our hearts? Uh, How do we get enough of an instinct built up to love and care for our neighbors? And then we can build relationship and then we can move into some of the harder conversations Um, but Jesus didn't like specialize in mic drop moments. Like he wasn't just like trying to shut down conversations. Uh, he was constantly trying to open up conversations. And I think that we need more of that as it relates to, uh, race and, and, uh, economics and, and politics and religion, you know, all these dividing lines. And so that's really the message of neighborliness. Yeah. So you have been studying these subjects, uh, personally, professionally, you did a lot of study uh, in your doctoral uh, efforts. And uh, so this has been a passion of yours for years. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so you have been working on yourself, let's say it that way. You've been kind of working on methods to uh, roll back that, uh, that knee-jerk reaction to refute, to argue. Mm-hmm. You're trying to keep an open mind. So there's, there's a two-part thought here that I'd like you to kind of weigh in on. Firstly, uh, how did you do it for yourself? Like, how do you keep yourself open and uh, to use those Christ-like methods of conversation? You know, oftentimes Jesus would just answer with a question to keep the other person talking and he would almost kind of lead them and coach them. And and pretty soon that person would begin to answer their own question or they would shut themselves down because the brilliance of the question would just, you know, reveal their hearts. And so, so how did you personally, this is one part of the question. How did you personally get to a place where you're uh, so open? And then the flip side of the coin is how do you guard your heart from some of the toxicity? Uh, because you get into those conversations yeah, and that's people, a great have, people have just vitriol in there, you know, and so how do you remain open and at the same time, guard your heart? Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, and I think that language is, is important. Um, it's not just how did I do it? I would say, how do I, um, because I don't feel like I'm an expert at all. Um, you know, I mean, I've studied this, we, we've got a lot of work going on in high poverty communities. We've got a, a ton of stuff, but, but I just really, I want to be a lifelong learner. And so like, like for instance, like right now, um, I don't actually think that people know what CRT is, critical race theory. And so I've been studying it, like studying what is it actually, um, because it's really just a mode of, of exploring something, but people get upset about it because of what they hear in the news, or they think that it's connected to something else. And it is, and, and, and culture has accosted like a, a mode of study and then made it into something else. And so one of the ways that, that, um, that I started and now continue to do is if I, I've tried to learn this instinct of, if I don't understand something, I'm not going to argue about it. <laughs> um, and if I don't understand something, I'm not going to give strong opinions on it. Um, and when we first moved our church from a predominantly white community to a predominantly black community, right on the dividing line between the two, um, I started to realize I didn't have a clue what was going on uh, with those dynamics. And so, you know, one thing I would say, Daniel, is just, I don't think that you can replace time, patience, um, a true, sincere heart that wants to learn. 
Um, one of the things that I lament in my spirit right now is I think a lot of the pastors addressed these issues last year or the year before after George Floyd was killed. Um, and then social awareness rose to a level that we haven't seen in 60 years around the world. And um, my heart really breaks for people of color and for people who are in higher poverty communities because many pastors have just moved on. We talked about it. And the thing is, is that if we're going to fully express and, and not just follow, but embody the greatest commandment of loving God and neighbors, I just think there's a long, slow, um, relational journey that needs to be pursued. And mine just included, I, I just started to read. I started to ask a lot of questions. The, the relationships were way more uh, valuable than the reading. And I say that as an author, right? Like I believe in the written word. I believe in, in resources that we can give to each other. Um, and I will create those for the rest of my life to try and help people um, see the beauty of God. But it was really the relationships that, that um, you know, I started to reach out intentionally to people that were different than me. And, um, and then behind the scenes, I started to read. And I'll never forget this. This was a moment that, that really marked me. Um, we had a shooting, uh, where a man named Keith Lamont Scott lost his life, uh, in Charlotte, which is where uh, I was pastoring and, um, and our church was deeply impacted by this. We had, we had some protests that kind of filled the streets in Charlotte for about a week and our church was right there in the middle of all of it. And, um, I remember one of our uh, members of the congregation came to me and said, um, David, I'm too tired to talk about this with you today. Um, and she said, if you go read a book and you read the whole thing, then come back and talk to me because then I'll know that you care. And she's like, I don't want to be your teacher. I want to be your friend. And, and she was like, I'm tired of teaching people. And, and I think that, that it's that type of relationship where at first I was like, what the heck, you know, like, you know, <laughs> you know, that, that was like a really like uh, unexpected response when I was just asking questions about like, well, what's going on here. And, um, and so, yeah, that, that was a big moment for me. So I think it's just that curiosity um, and courage are two really important pieces of, of exploring these topics, uh, curiosity to ask some great questions Encouraged to stay in the conversation long enough to, to really gain from it. Um, in reference to the toxicity of these conversations, um, I just think that, that when you start to develop uh, Christ-like empathy and compassion for others, um, it helps you to not be mad at the people that, that are mad at you. Um, I, I try and remember that the enemy has three plans, uh, steal, kill, destroy, that's it. And so if a, com if a conversation takes a turn and it's a little bit like confusing, or if it's like, wait, where did that come from? I know that the enemy's at work in this conversation about race and about politics um, and how those two intersect all the time, even in ways that are kind of asinine, don't even make sense. You know, like, it's like, what, what just happened here? And so the way that I look at this is, um, I just have tried to develop empathy for others that are around me, even people that I completely disagree with, or even if they're acting a fool, like I, I just try to be empathetic and 
And I also have a couple of rules in place, like in my life, if I get blasted, which I do online uh, about something that I am saying or, or whatever, um, I, I have promised myself and my wife uh, that I'll wait an hour before I respond. Uh, just let the, let the initial, the initial stuff generally is not the best stuff. Um, if I'm face to face with somebody and, and they're challenging me in a way that is really aggressive, um, I try and take a few beats before I respond and just take a deep breath and invite the Holy Spirit into that moment. Um, even better, I had somebody uh, tell me a great piece of advice. They said, no one can ever tell you that you can't go to the bathroom. <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean? And they, the, I mean, their point was if, it, if it's getting real hot, you know, in a conversation, you know, just, Hey, I just need to use the restroom real quick. I'll be right back. And I just think that finding time to allow your initial defensiveness to subside and invite the spirit in, um, allows you to be a person that brings, uh, conversations to, to the forefront that, um, bring healing instead of more division. I think that's a good way to ask ourselves, like, are we expressing the spirit of neighborliness? And I, I define neighborliness just as embodying the presence of Jesus to the world around us, you know, taking on his characteristics of kindness and care and love and compassion. And those things lead to healing. And so when I'm pursuing the spirit of neighborliness that I talk about so much, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to bring healing to relationships and healing to conversations instead of just further division. What's the win in your opinion uh, for someone who reads the book and they in turn begin to do blank? What's the win? Yeah, I think that the book um, will lead you to take the next right step. And so what I mean by that is everybody's different. So if this is the first book anybody's ever picked up, it's a good book for them, um, you know, on these topics. Because the, the way that I wrote it was I was writing about somebody or writing to the person as I, as I sat up the, my computer right in front of me here. Um, I was writing to a person that was probably had some sort of inclination towards the Lord, but maybe hasn't explored race and economics and the way that it has impacted our culture and our churches. Um, and so their next right step might be to um, go to the resources that we have at neighborliness.com and check out various different free resources that we have there and then take further steps. So we've tried to build out this whole ecosystem of like, what is your next step? So like um, at neighborliness.com slash resources, if you just need to learn more, there's stuff there. If, if you want to dig in a little bit deeper about the book, there's, there's videos there that you can watch. Um, if, you want, if, if you're somebody who has read my book that is already actively engaged in like, you know, my field is called uh, holistic community development. And so like we, we literally talk about like city transformation. If you're somebody involved in that type of work, we literally have frameworks on the website of the way that you can engage communities holistically to break cycles of poverty. But the, the encouragement that I would have for everybody is just take the next right step. Like if this is the first time that you're starting to explore this, you probably don't want to go and try and do holistic community development. 
you probably need to, you know, pick up one of the next books, you know, like Rethinking Incarceration by Dominic Dubois-Gilliard, where he talks about the prison system and some of the inequalities that are in the prison system, or How to Fight Racism by Jamar Tisby, where he says, okay, this is the way that you can be a Christ-centered activist toward change. Um, and then I would say, too, I would hope that a really practical step would be that this book would give you tools to take a step toward relationship. I just got uh, a text message from a friend of mine who said, this might take me a few months to read this book because I'm really, really just taking it in like one like sub chapter at a time. And one of the things that I did today was I reached out to a friend intentionally that was different than me. And that was like, that just filled my heart because that's not going to change the world that one moment. But Peter Moskowitz says this in a book called How to Kill a City. It's about gentrification and inequality in our communities. He says systems can change because systems are made of people. And, and so, like, I remember when I was doing my doctoral work, I just, and I, I think this is in, like, chapter 12 or 13 of the book, I just had all of my notes, like, spread out all over the wall on these sticky tabs. And I was just staring at the wall. And I felt so overwhelmed, Daniel. I was like, oh, my God. Like, I can't, I can't do this. I'm not the right person for this. And, and I remember the Holy Spirit just really, really put on my heart, um, get up because I was on the ground crying, literally on the ground, doubled over crying, uh, get up, take the next step, which I had a blank screen blinking the Microsoft word, uh, thing in front of me, nothing on it for my dissertation that I was supposed to start writing, start typing and remember one person at a time just one person at a time. And I think that's a really important word for like uh, people that might watch this in the future um, or, you know, are joining us right now um, is we can't change the world if we're not willing to like engage with people, <laughs> you know, like, and so it's a slow journey and maybe it's Max, Mary, Jack, and Ben, you know, my teenagers, maybe they're the ones that take it to places that I hope that we can take it. Um, but I just know that we wake up every day and we try and move a little bit closer to the promised community that the Lord has given us in the book of Revelation, where there's no more hurting, no more crying, no more pain, no more suffering. And there's a lot of that going on right now. And so um, I have endless motivation to just try and figure out the thing that Jesus said was the greatest commandment. Mm -hmm. I think that we get distracted by a lot of other stuff. You know, uh, as we wind down our conversation here, I just want to ask you just this one last question. And I would just really be interested to get your thoughts on it. You know, we can talk about racism and prejudice and uh, preconceived ideas. And uh, we could talk about favoritism and all those things are barriers and walls that stand between us and these helpful conversations that you've been talking about. But there's another uh, wall that might be less obvious that I think your book really does address uh, ultimately in the grand scheme of it. And that is um, reputation. You know, like Jesus was willing to uh, have a bad reputation. You know, he had a reputation of being a glutton, a drunkard, a friend of sinners. He would have dinner with tax collectors, the the bottom of the barrel, so to speak, in society, be it prostitutes, demon-possessed. I mean, you can just 
pick your, I mean, Romans, Gentiles, it didn't matter. Uh, um, yeah. So I think for some people in ministry, leaders who really need to set the tone, right, for pastors in their churches uh, might be nervous about talking about critical race theory. Uh, yeah. I might be nervous about talking about uh, social justice is issues in their city because of all of the, and they might be afraid that their reputation uh, might be tarnished or their reputation might be misunderstood. Um, how might you encourage a leader to risk reputation for the sake of the sinner? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> one of my favorite uh, passages of scripture uh, is where Jesus is hanging out, you know, basically, let's just call it a bar. And he's hanging out with a bunch of people that don't believe in him, don't even believe in who he is. If anybody should be offended at Tim, right? They, they are literally, they don't believe him. And he's enjoying himself. And then there's a group of religious leaders outside that are judging. And it's like, who's having more fun? in that moment? Is it Jesus or is it the people that are, you know, clutching to their religious pearls? And it says that they, they said Jesus is in there hanging out with a bunch of, uh, the New Living Translation says, disreputable sinners. And I think to myself, I think that we need to hang out with more disreputable sinners. You know, I think that, and I think that me and you are disreputable sinners, you know, and, and so it's like, um, you know, to me, reputation, it's like, what do you want to be known for? Do you, do you want to be known uh, for being a, you know, like a, a great communicator or a, you know, a, a slick, you know, something or other? Or, or do you want to be known as somebody who just emanates and embodies the presence of Jesus? And it's like, I think that we are trying to build our own platforms uh, to the point that we are excluding our neighbors and we're no better than culture that is built uh, on the backs of inequality and built on the backs of, um, you know, economic classes that, that, that need the lower class so that they can continue to, to feed the upper class, literally. Um, I think that when we try and build our own reputation, um, we're literally overlooking people that Jesus desperately loves and desperately cares for and would choose to spend time with. And so I just think that's a great question. It's one that we need to explore further is whose reputation are we building? Because what I know is that when we spend time um, advocating for and enjoying relationship with those that uh, culture has overlooked and pushed aside and marginalized, uh, I think that now, now we're acting like Jesus. Oh, you said it perfectly. I think that another man, this is just as you speak, the more you speak, the more thoughts are coming to my mind. And I know I said it was my last question, but man, I just uh, I think it would be that's a miss okay. if I didn't uh, uh, have you pull on one more thread, if that's OK. okay. Um, <clears throat> you said whose or, 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 or whose reputation are we building? I'm trying to remember exactly how you put it. Yeah. Uh, uh, what reputation are we living for or who do we, or here's how you said it. What do you want to be known for, yeah, right? What do you want for. to be known for? Uh, and I think maybe we need to shift over to a different thought that's probably more biblical. And that is who do we want to be known by? Yeah. You know, yeah. so, so maybe risking reputation 
makes us to be known for something because people don't want to take the time to figure it out. They don't want to take the time to understand why you were having lunch with a homosexual or why you were mm-hmm. having lunch with a prostitute or why you were, you know, I'm just making up examples, but yeah. there, there are people yeah. in the church world who don't want to explore. They just want to judge. And so uh, we could risk some reputation on the personal end, but we're getting heaven's attention. And I want yeah. to be known by heaven, right? Enter into the joy of the Lord. I, I know you, right? It's all about who yeah. you're known mm-hmm. by. Yeah. So just That's pull great. on that thread just a minute. Yeah, I mean, I think that, um, that being known and knowing God is one of the greatest gifts that we have. Uh, in rela- we, don't, we don't serve a dead God he's alive. Um, and I think that when we start to participate in the things that he cares about, that he is like super present with us. I've had a lot of people ask me, um, you know, David, you've lost so much, you know, whether it's relationships or fractures and relationships with friends and even family that, um, that don't agree with me on, on these topics, you know, and it, to me, I can either get like super exasperated, like how can we not agree on loving each other? Well, but I know that there's more to it than that. There's more cultural stuff that we have to dig through. And I, I, I always tell people, I don't look at it as how much I've lost. I look at it as how much I've gained because I've gained friends that I would have never had. And not only that, I've gained a knowledge of God about the way that he cares for people that actively feel overlooked, that actively feel um, marginalized. I now have a new and beautiful perspective that I didn't have before as, um, as somebody that people would view as white, even, even though I told you that, you know, my, you know, great grandfather came over from the Philippines, very dark Brown, you know, like, um, as a white man living in this culture, I don't know how to enter into the pain of somebody else, unless I build a relationship with them. And when I do that, now I'm able to see the beauty of God about the way that he cares for those that have been overlooked and marginalized. And so knowing God um, is not an individual thing. It it is individual, but it's not exclusively individual. Knowing God is also knowing, being known in a community and then seeing from different perspectives and different angles. And I'm really hoping that, um, that neighborliness helps people to experience the joy. I think a lot of people are afraid to like um, explore these things, but it's nice when people pick up the book and they actually enjoy reading it. Uh, even if there's a, uh, you know, a handful of times throughout the book where it's like, Ooh, that hurt a little bit, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, and, yeah, I want, and I want people even, to know God more. And you're not even asking people to agree with everything you say, but just to, just to explore it and to consider it. And that's part of what's missing in the overall ethos of our culture right now, be it business, politics, economics, um, anything, anything, it seems like people are just not really open to considering the possibility that maybe I don't know everything, right? It's yeah, like, yeah. it's like, why, why can't we at least come to the table with some, some, uh, some, some understanding of one another that at the very basics, I'm looking at a fellow image bearer of God. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we may have differences, we may have very strong disagreements. But man, can we come to the table and at least respect one another and listen to one another, not to get yeah. into that refutation mode, like you talked about earlier, mm-hmm. but to just understand, 
Let's just yes. go there. Let's just understand, mm-hmm. right? You know, Jesus mm-hmm. saved his harshest rebukes for the religious elite, you know, for the, yeah. for the self-righteous. And, um, you know, he, he had a lot of pa- uh, compassion for people who didn't know any better. He had a lot of patience. Yeah. Now he didn't shy away from telling the woman caught in the act of adultery, you know, go and sin no more. But there's with Jesus, and I think it should be with us, and I'm sure you'll agree. It's truth and grace. Yeah. It's the both coming together to bring the best of heaven to earth and especially to your neighborhood. Yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you got it. And uh, I think that, you know, for those that are joining us for the conversation, you know, I would just say, um, culture uh, is not going the right direction right now as it relates to unity, right? And yeah. so how are we going to be different as the people of God? And even as we lead into a whole nother election cycle that's going to be coming up in politics, I think that we can ask ourselves that question. How are we going to be different this time around than we were in 2020? You know, how how are we going to show the love of Christ? Even if we, I, I don't have any problem with people deeply believing what they believe. Um, as long as they are taking what they believe, and I'm talking to Christians, does your life match the life and behaviors of Jesus? You know, and, and I, I can't, I can't say that we do that all the time. And so how are we going to be different this time around? How are we going to be different today and tomorrow and the days to come? Well, listen, David, um, this has been a really helpful conversation as it pertains to bringing the presence of Jesus into our relationships and our conversations and um, just in our daily interactions with fellow human beings. I would love to have a part two of the conversation. And there are so many other questions that I would love to ask you with regards to uh, how you may deal with um, somebody on the other end of your belief system that's incredibly uh, aggressive and they're wanting to uh, thrust their belief system onto you. And, and, you know, Mm -hmm. back when we were kids, it was like live and let live. Now yeah. it seems like I'm going to punish you if you don't agree with me. And so I would love to know yeah. how you process those types of things in our culture, because that might be a yeah. helpful conversation as well. But we don't have time for that today. Yeah. Uh, but maybe we can set up a part two. Uh, yeah. And I would love to pick. And I would say to that, things. just the quickest thought on that is if you understand the issues that people are trying to thrust, if read stuff you don't agree with. So like read the other side, read, you know, like be knowledgeable about what you're arguing about, because if you don't have a defense of that is cohesive, you're going to be blown around. Ephesians four talks about that, that by any teaching and you might just be mad. That's not a result of the Holy spirit either. And so I would just say the more that you can uh, dive into things and, and give it a good shot of like, at least trying to understand your neighbor, um, yeah, we can, we can unpack that further for sure. David, would you please close us the way you yeah, can man. and just pray for us today, brother? Absolutely. Well, Lord, we know that there are seeds just like we prayed that have been thrown out there. Uh, we pray that they wouldn't fall on the footpath where birds come and, and uh, gobble them up. I pray that it wouldn't just be shallow to where the sun can burn it up or be choked out by weeds 
in the ground, but I pray that the seeds that have been thrown out today would uh, find healthy soil, um, that, that we would be able to learn and grow, and then it would pop through the surface and grow onto something beautiful in days to come, uh, the years to come. I pray for courage and curiosity uh, to stick in conversations, to ask some really good questions. And, uh, and Lord, we just invite you. We invite you into the moments that are frustrating, that are confusing, uh, knowing that neither of those emotions are from you. And we pray for wisdom and clarity, Father. And so we thank you and pray that your kingdom would be established in our hearts, in our cities and on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Amen. Friends, we have been with author, pastor, teacher, speaker, um, best-selling author here uh, with Dr. David Dukason, and uh, his latest book is Neighborliness. You need to get it now. Friends, this is a important book for you and I to read. It's a great resource, and I think it will give you the tools and even point you in the direction for resources uh, that you need to have a better understanding of how to really enter into the world of someone else and impact them for Christ. David, thanks for your time today, man. Absolutely. It's an honor to be here. Appreciate you. Yes, sir.